Well, let's pray together. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, there's, um, there's some of us here this morning that have become uh, just really good at being an island. And we've let um, self-protecting and isolation and covering up and all these other things keep us from experiencing the community that you really want us to have. And so I pray this morning that as we look into your word, that you'd challenge us and give us the courage uh, to take the steps out of our isolation, out of our hiding, into all that you'd want us to do and be. And I pray it in your name. Amen. Well, good morning. You know, I used to think of the Christian life kind of um, like a destination. You know, you get saved. And then you, you know, get spiritually mature. And then, you know, when you die someday, you get to heaven kind of thing, destinations. But I think I've come to see it more accurately as a journey. And because it's a journey, that's why you need other people on this journey with you. Others who will help you along. And certainly it, it has a start, it has a beginning when, when we come to that place in our life, when we recognize our need for Jesus and we surrender ourselves to Him, we bow our knee to Jesus as our Savior and Lord. But at that point then we start this journey towards spiritual maturity, that, that spiritual maturity isn't something you get to, it's something you pursue that we'll never fully get to till we reach eternity. And so between now and then, there's this road, there's this journey, and, and it's usually not just this always upward, smooth kind of road, is it? I mean, there's right choices and wrong choices. There's times of doing the right things, the God things, and experiencing the benefits and the blessings that come from that. And there's times of not doing the right things, of, of not doing it God's way, and experiencing the consequences that come from all of that. But we need others who will live in authentic community with us to help us through the ups and the downs through the messy parts, through the crummy parts, through the, the wrong choices, the bad choices, the good and the bad, this journey that we're on. Well, if you have a Bible with you this morning, let me invite you to take it and turn to the Old Testament book of Job. If you aren't familiar with your Bible, there in the middle you'll find that big book of Psalms. And if you turn one book to the left... That's the book of Job. Turn all the way back to the beginning of that book, Job chapter 1. If you don't have a Bible, and probably even if you do, you'll want to reach inside your uh, bulletin and pull out this white sheet that's got uh, some places where you can look at the exact verses that we're going to see this morning, look at together, as well as some blanks that you can fill in and some white spaces if you care to write yourself some notes. But in Job chapter 1, let me kind of give you the, the back story to lead up to the verses we're going to talk about to start with this morning. Job was a righteous man. He loved God. He served God. He, 
he walked uprightly in front of God, was, was seeking to do so. But what we find happens in the beginning of the book of Job is that there's this heavenly showdown between God and the devil that Job knows nothing about. And as a result of this heavenly showdown, Job, in these first verses of chapter 1, experiences just bad thing after bad thing. It's the ultimate no good, very bad day. (laughs) I mean, within... A short time, he loses his wealth, he loses his family, he loses his possessions, he loses his position. I mean, just one right after the other. You find that a servant arrives to tell him about this piece of of bad news, and before he even finishes telling him, there's the other servant right on the heels of that with more bad news. It's just catastrophic. But I want you to notice with me this amazing reaction of Job, and In chapter 1, beginning in verse 20, it says there that at this, all this bad news, at this, all this loss, it says at this, Job got up and he tore his robe and he shaved his head and then he fell to the ground in worship. And he said, naked I came from my mother's womb and naked I'll depart. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. May may the name of the Lord be praised. I mean, he says the Lord gives, and he takes away. But either way, blessed be the name of the Lord. The very song that we sang just a little while ago, based right on this passage of Job's response. Either way, blessed be the name of this God who gives. And who also takes away. Now, right here in these verses, I I think we see a key reason why all of us need community. And that's because we need other people who will help us stay connected in the midst of a life where we experience God giving and taking away. See, we need other people who will help us stay connected to God during the times of blessing. I don't know about you, but I can get I can get so enjoying of the blessings that I forget all about God. I can start to actually serve the blessings more than the blesser. Anybody know what I'm talking about? And we need other people who will help us stay connected to the blesser, not simply the blessings. But we also need other people who will help us stay connected during the times when he takes away. During the loss, during, during, during the hurt, during the pain, during the difficulties, we need other people who will walk through this with us in community. Well, the good news about Job is that he lived in community. If you go on to chapter 2, we find Job's community. He had three friends who were there. Chapter 2, Job, on top of all of this, loses his health as well. And his three friends within, with whom he was in community, Eliphaz and Bildad and Zophar, I, I don't, that, those are way out their names, so I like to call them Eli, Bill, and Zo, okay? <laughs> but his three friends who, within whom he lived in community, see, they get a bad reputation a lot of time, but I want you to see the community that they had. Look with me, chapter 2, verse 11. 
It says that when Job's three friends, Eli and Bill and Zoe, you know, his three friends there, when they heard about all the troubles that had come upon Job, they set out from their homes. And they met together by agreement to go and to sympathize with him. They, they didn't just stay in their homes and pray about him, pray for him. They, they didn't send him an email. They went, right? They went for the express purpose to, to sympathize with him and to comfort him. And verse 12 says, when they saw him from a distance, they could hardly recognize him. This losing of his health was so severe, was so catastrophic that it disfigured him to the point that they couldn't even recognize him even from a distance they could see. And so it says they began to weep aloud and they tore their robes and they sprinkled dust on their heads. And then they sat on the ground with him for seven days and seven nights. No one said a word to him because they saw how great his suffering was. I mean, Job's community was there for him, weren't they? I mean, they came and and they hurt for him. And they hurt with him. And they spent the first seven days without anybody offering any cheap advice. In fact, it wasn't until they began to talk that they did him more hurt than help. They did him more hurt than help because, you see, they had some faulty thinking. Their faulty thinking was, listen, all these bad things are happening to you. God has allowed this. You must have done something wrong to cause this to happen. See, they didn't have the benefit of Job chapter 1 where we read that this wasn't because of Job. It was because of a heavenly showdown that was going on between God and the devil. They said, no, see, these bad things have happened, therefore you must have done something to bring it about. Some of you think that way. I know, because I hear people say to me all the time, oh, this is going on in my life. Is God punishing me? Is God doing this? See, when we have this faulty thinking, it leads us to these faulty concepts, these unbiblical concepts of God. God's not petty like that. God's not doing that. But see, we, we just like they let their faulty thinking lead them to faulty conclusions about God, and then they give all this cheap advice to Job. You see, Job's community's problem was they tried to fix him. Now, none of us would ever be guilty of doing that, right? See, there are some things that Stunt community. Let me just kind of share a few of those with you. One of them is this one, this first one right here, is that of cheap advice. See, we need, in those times of need, to more just be there and do less talking. We need more feeling and less fixing. See, what people need and what we need to do is is to to hurt with them and to hurt for them. And, And catch this, to simply help them bring this struggle, this problem, to the one who can do something about it, to bring it to God. That's what our role is. Our role is just to be there with them and help them to bring it to Jesus. But 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 for some reason, there's within us this sense that we've got to say something wise. You know, we got to say something that's going to help. 
And usually more often we bring hurt than help. You see, more often than not, what they need is for us just to be there, for us to hurt with them, for us to care, for us to be in pain because they're in pain. And certainly there's a time where we do give advice, but here's the key. In fact, here, let me tell you what cheap advice is. If you want a definition, cheap advice is advice you give that isn't asked for. I can't tell how many times I've I've experienced it with people, even in community, where you'll be sharing, I'll be sharing real stuff, and someone says, you know, have you tried such and such a doctor, or have you, you know, it's like, what is the matter with you? That's not what I say. What I say is, yeah, yeah, yeah. But see, it doesn't touch my soul. What touches my soul is community who just hurts with me. Who loves me through it. Rather than offering cheap advice. Cheap advice will stunt community. Here's another thing that will stunt community. Is busyness. You know, I talked a little bit about this last weekend. And, and as I started, you know, there was this noticeable squirm factor. Like, man, don't be messing with my schedule and my priorities. And, 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 and listen, I don't, don't, I'm not the Holy Spirit. Listen to him. Don't listen to me. But the simple truth is we have to clear way for the important things in our lives. And relationships and being in community is one of those big important things. See, we say with our mouth, oh man, I love Jesus. I want Jesus to be first in my life. But then we let everything else set our schedule. And then we give God and we give community what's left over. Listen to me, friends. You are going to be busy. But what we have to do is we have to determine what is and isn't going to get squeezed out in our life. Don't give up that right to somebody else. We have to determine that. Otherwise, busyness will stunt community. Here's another thing that will stunt community is is self-protection. Because, you see, it takes humility... To let yourself need others, doesn't it? I am better at serving, of giving of myself to serve somebody else than I am at letting somebody else serve me. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Now, you know what that is? That's just pride is what it is. We've got to be humble enough to need other people. It it takes vulnerability to let other people into your life, to let other people see you, to, to open yourself up to others. You say, but 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 they may they may not respond to me right. They they may take advantage of me, they may might betray me. And you're right, they might. Flawed people do flawed things. But it's worth the risk. You know, last week, um, several of you turned in cards that had stories of where you've experienced community. And I really enjoyed reading those. But some of you turned in cards that told about when you had 
been a part of community or pursued community or tried community, and rather than it being community, it was something else. You were betrayed. You were hurt. You were wounded. Community was misused. And my challenge to you is don't let that hurt. Don't let that wound keep you from going after the real thing. You know, people who've been through bad marriages usually don't give up on marriage. I mean, they're able to look and they're able to say, this was, this was bad, not because marriage is bad, but because of the, the dysfunctions here, the wrong things here. That's what was wrong, not, not marriage. I, I, I had food poisoning once. Anybody ever had food poisoning? It was miserable. It was terrible. It was awful. But I didn't give up on eating. You guys picked up on that all by yourself, didn't you? <laughs> See, the problem wasn't with eating. The problem was that thing that I ate, that unhealthy thing that I ate that caused this reaction. Listen, don't let the wrong things of community, the misuses, the abuses, don't let those keep you from pursuing community. Don't let those cause you to be an island. Don't let those cause you to pull into yourself and to hide and to self-protect because self-protection will stunt community. Here's another thing that will stunt community is conflict. Now, let me just tell you up front, if you're going to be a part of community, if you're going to be a part of a small group, there will be conflict. See, because here's what happens. When you when you start a, a a new group or, or beginning of a group. See, everybody's out here at arm's distance from each other. And what you think is, isn't this great? We all just love each other. But over time, what you do is you let your arms down so that you get closer together. And it, and it turns from, isn't this great? We just love each other to, I'm not so sure about you. Your kid's a brat. I don't like this thing about you. I don't like the way you responded to me there. You know, and then, and then conflict enters in. And, and of course, we don't talk to each other about the conflict. We talk to six other people about the conflict, you know, and, and conflict will happen. But here's the key. It's will we be committed to each other enough to work through the conflict? See, that's not what we do in America, is it? In America, we just cut and run. But will we, be, will we love each other enough? Not the feeling, but the, the, the action of love. Will we love each other enough to be committed to each other enough to work through this? That's the stuff that brings community. But conflict that we refuse to work through, that will stunt community every time. Here's another community stunt or a thing that will do that to community is selfishness. Because see, the flat out truth is I'm far more concerned about me than I am about you. I would rather talk about me than hear about you. When there's a group picture, I look for me. I don't look for you. Right? I mean, I'm looking for my kids. I'm not looking for your kids. See? Because I'm far more concerned about me. When when there's a decision to be made, I'm far more concerned about how this decision impacts me than I am about how it impacts you. And see, that's why I think learning to live in community is such a big part of spiritual growth. 
Because learning to live in community is the stuff that teaches us to put you ahead of me. See, if we can turn spiritual maturity into some sort of self-focused thing, then it's possible for me to be nothing more than a self-consumed, selfish slob who just knows a lot about the Bible and think I'm spiritually mature. But that's not what my Bible tells me spiritual maturity is. Spiritual maturity isn't how much you know about the Bible. It's that you're doing what it says in the Bible. And that happens in the context of community. With other people who will rub you and sand you at the same time. With other people who will help you, people that you will fail before and succeed with. People who are in community learning to put others in front of yourself. That together you are striving to be more like Christ and striving to be in community with each other. And so that's why I believe you need to be part of a small group. Well, take your Bible. I want to look at one other passage. If you go just a few books to the right, go past that big book of Psalms and a couple more to the right is the book of Ecclesiastes. If you'd turn over to Ecclesiastes chapter 4. Past Psalms, past Proverbs, Ecclesiastes chapter 4. Look with me at just this one other passage beginning in verse 8. It says, there was a man all alone. You may want to circle that word alone. He was an island, see? And he had neither son nor brother. There was no end to his toil, yet his eyes were not content with his wealth. For whom am I toiling, he asked, and why am I depriving myself of enjoyment? This too is meaningless, a miserable business. See, his focus is just on him. And so then the writer of Ecclesiastes then, in contrast to that, gives us these wise words. He says, verse 9, two are better than one because they have a good return for their work. And if one falls down, his friend can help him up. But pity the man who falls down and has no one to help him up. I have those four words circled there, no one to help. Pity that person, that island living guy who falls and has no one to help. Verse 11, also if two lie down together, they will keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? I have a friend, Mark, who's a youth pastor, and Mark had taken his group, his youth group, on a white water experience. And during the course of this, one of the kids had gone into the water and was in the water a long time before they could get him out. And by the time they got him out, he was into hypothermia. And the guide who was there looked at Mark and said, listen, man, we need to do a body wrap. So you need to take off all your clothes and we're going to take off all of his clothes and we're going to put you together and we're going to wrap you up. And what that does is it lets your body temperature gradually bring their body temperature up. And so Mark ripped off all his clothes, and they took all the clothes off this guy, and they wrapped their bodies up, and it saved that kid's life. That's what he's talking about here. 
I used that illustration one time, and a uh, guy that was in my small group that I was in community with, his name was James. And James, after he heard that story, says, listen, man, we are never going near water together again. We're never, <laughs> we're never going fishing together. We're not going to go swimming together. We're not going to the beach. Heck, we're not even going over to people's house who have a pool together. <laughs> That's what he's talking about here. By yourself, that kid would have died. But see the two. Then he says in verse 12, though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. And a cord of three strands is not quickly broken. See, two's better than one. Three's even better. Four would be even better than that. Do I hear five? How about six? See, it's community, not isolation. Now, real quick, let me just give you some thoughts on this passage that, as I thought about it, these last couple weeks kind of impacted me. Maybe they'll resonate with you. Here's the first one, is that everybody falls down sometime. See, whether it's a struggle over some aspect of sin, some temptation, or it's a health issue, or or it's some unimaginable level of grief, or the loss of a job, or the loss of someone near to you that that mattered a lot to you, or marriage difficulties, or any one of a ton of other things. See, we all fall sometime. And that's why we need other people who will be there when we fall. Our problem is that in America, because we have so much wealth, we think we're isolated from falling. We live our, listen, we live our lives really believing that's not going to be us. We're never going to fall. But the truth is everybody falls sometime. And that's why you need other people who will be there to help you up when you fall. Here's a second thought from this passage is just this, that you have to enlist your walking companions before you fall. See, here's what happens to us. We get the diagnosis. And it's knee-buckling. And then we go looking for people who will help us up in the midst of it. You've got to list your walking companions before you fall. We come home and we find the note on the table that says, I'm leaving, it's over. And then we go looking for companions on the walk who will help us because we're falling. Our knees are crumbling. You've got to enlist your walking companions before that. You say, well, but I'm a part of this great church. It's too big. It's too big to really call this community. It's great. It's important. But, but within this, you need community. A small group of people. We, we have some area in our life where we're convinced, hey, you know, I can just flirt with this issue. I can just sin. You know, this sin, I'll just, I can, it'll be fine. I can handle it. See, but sin's never content to be where it is in your life, is it? It always wants more. It wants to entrap us, see? And so it keeps taking more. And we can say, hey, I can handle it. And, so, and then it overpowers it. It takes us. We end up going further than we ever thought we would go. 
Maybe we even end up falling in a big way. And then we go looking for people to help us. Listen, the time to enlist your walking companions is before you fall. And so get it through your head now. Everybody falls sometime. And so get into community now so you'll have others to help you when, not if, when you fall. One more thought out of this passage is this, that maybe you need to be in a group to help up others when they fall. See, I put that in there because sometimes I talk to people and they say, man, this small group stuff is great. I love it, but, you know, I don't need it. You know, my marriage is good. My life's good. My walk with God's great. I I don't need that. Well, I might could argue with you a little bit about that, but let's say you're right. Okay, here's the news flash for you. It's not all about you. And maybe you need to be part of a group because of your role in helping up others when they fall. See, that happens in community. And maybe you need to get past your island self-absorbed thinking into community for the sake of the way God's going to use you to help up others in their struggles. Now, let me draw your attention just to couple of lines that we read there at the end of verse 10, because it's such a powerful few words. The writer there says this, he says, but pity the man who falls and has no one to help him up. See, I think that's an accurate description of most American Christians in our daytime, in our day, in our age, in our time. We've learned to be islands. We've learned to self-protect. We've learned to say, above all else, man, don't let people see the real me because they won't like it. Maybe that's the condition of some of you right here today. Then what happens, see, is somebody falls into some some sin area that, 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 that's, that's huge. And what do people say? We had no idea. We had no idea they were struggling with that. A marriage falls apart and people get divorced and people who sat next to those people every Sunday say we had no idea. It's because we're better at living as islands than we are at living in community. I was at a conference a while back, and um, I was there with Ted Haggard. Ted Haggard was um, a pretty big Christian name for a while, a pastor in Denver and head of the National Association of Evangelicals. And at their church, they had developed a thing called New Market Cells or New Market Small Groups. And so I had wanted to hear Ted's thoughts on that because I wasn't sure that I fully embraced everything about it in terms of my ministry aspects and understanding. But so, so I had heard about that and talked about that. And we were at the airport together. It was just uh, Ted and me and one other guy. And um, we were just talking. And as a part of just talking, I, I asked Ted 
about his small group. You know, tell me about the small group you're part of. And that, it wasn't a loaded question. It was just, just asking. And, and the, the, the minute I asked him that, Ted immediately started backpedaling. You know, well, I mean, you know, I mean, I'm just traveling so much and I'm just so busy. And so I don't really have the opportunity to to be in a group and and so forth. And and I thought I didn't say this. I was too polite to say it. But what I thought was, how in the world do you tell your people they need this? But somehow you think you don't. How, How could you have convinced yourself of that? And it was about a year later that, um, you know, this scandalous sin aspect came out about Ted Haggard's life. And it was a huge black eye to the cause of Christ. And, you know, it, it impacted his ministry, impacted his marriage, it impacted Christian, Christianity and Jericho. It was just terrible. And I remember when it happened, when thinking, <laughs> we just all need community. Every single one of us. And so I guess my challenge for you this morning is just this. You need it. I need it. You need to be in community. And so towards that end, we're having a small group fair today. And I want to just give you that opportunity. If you look inside your worship folder, there's this gray, uh, gray, this, um, what color is that? Golden. Yeah, this golden. The writing's kind of gray, though, so okay. If you look at it this way, so that the, the north end is down here and the south end is down here, that's the lobby out here. And we've got different kinds of small groups. We've got some small groups that are just women. We've got some that are just men. We've got a lot that are both, you know, singles and marrieds. We've got some that are more geared at, you know, younger. We've got some that are geared at... Uh, young adult not married. We've got some, you know, groups geared for like people who are older than dirt. You know, I mean, we got the gamut here. (laughs) Some that deal with marriage in particular, some that deal with just life in general. How do we walk through life together? Some that are more study oriented. But at the heart of all of them, here's what our goal is, is that they're going to be about people living in community with each other. And so if you're not a part of community, I want to encourage you in these next few minutes after we finish that you'll just go out in the lobby and talk to someone. Now, some of you, I, I can, you know, I can just feel already, some of you have already gone up, whoop, whoop, alarm, you know, danger, real Roger, you know, kind of stuff. And listen, there, this is not a trap. This is not a trick. None of these leaders are going to get you in a headlock, you know, and Dutch rub your head and say, you got to come to my group till you die. And it's not that kind of thing. But it's an opportunity for you to maybe just talk to some people and find out, well, what goes on in your group? And tell me about this. And, and maybe if you find a place that looks like, you know what, that might be a good place to see if that might not be community for us, for me. Then let them have your phone number and you find out when they meet and let them call you so that they can invite you. And, and so we're going to give you that opportunity right after we finish here. Ultimately, we want you to go get your children Don't forget that. But you don't have to rush and get your children first necessarily. Go out there and do that. In fact, if you're a small group leader or somebody who's going to be involved in that fair, why don't you just go in right now? And the rest of us will be there in just a few minutes. But I want to pray for us. Would you bow your heads with me?
Father God, it's just, um, in the culture that we live in, this is just so upstream. We live in a culture that says, above all else, hide and protect yourself and put your best foot forward and all of this kind of stuff. Boy, but community is just all over your word that's so opposite of that. Lord, I know that there's some of us here this morning that are hearing these words and what's happening in our spirit is just saying amen. Man, I see it. I'm a part of it. I'm loving it. Maybe for some of us, the the bigger challenge is for us to let go. We're loving it so much that we want to hold on to it and not share it. Lord, you speak that into our hearts if that's the case. But for others of us, it's that we've let past hurts or or just learned behavior keep us away from doing the things we need to do to be in community. For some of us, that means even in the midst of community to risk opening up and being real. For others of us, it means just getting started, just getting into a group. And so I pray that in these next few minutes, you'll give many of us the courage to step beyond our fears and to maybe put feet to that. Because the end result, God, is that you want us in places where we're having Christ formed in us. Because we're part of a group of people who love us and who walk through the good parts of life and the crummy parts of life with us in community. And so help us, Lord. Help us set aside the the excuses and choose to do things your way to be able to be a part of community. And I pray it in your name and for your glory. Amen.